Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Other people go on vacations and spend their days just laying around. We have a story we're going to be telling for the rest of our lives. Daniel, where's the boat? That's a good question. As we are stuck in the middle of the ocean. Oh, God. Oh. It's okay. It's okay. This can't be happening. Oh, my God. Susan! Susan! Welcome to Horror versus Reality. I'm your host, Anastasia, as per usual, and my co-host with me today is Keith McNally. Welcome back, Keith. Howdy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. See, here's the thing you guys need to know, is that we have fully done this episode once before, but none of it got recorded except for me noticing that none of it got recorded. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a hilarious 20-second episode of like, wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, we're doing open water versus the disappearance of the Lonergans. And yeah, and I figure uh, on the plus side, I mean, that was like our dress rehearsal, right? So that means this one, this is going to be great. We're going to nail it this time. <laughs> I hope, Keith. I hope. <laughs> On the bright side, I feel much better than I did when I was recording the last one. Because I had just gotten off of, like, a really bad upper respiratory infection that had me down for, like, a week. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I was, like, nasally and had a lot of mucus going on. And I'm, like, way better today, so... It's all good. <laughs> and also, yeah, on the plus side, if we were going to have a random tech problem, you've had some pretty epic episodes. So uh, this one, by comparison, I mean, it's a it's a very short film and it's a very 
straightforward, sad story, so it's not the longest thing in the world. Oh, no. Oh, no. The longest is probably when we covered the black metal scene in, Nor- in Norway. Right. Because that was two episodes for just that story, which never happens. Because, <laughs> like, the episodes themselves are long enough. They're, like, two and a half hours sometimes, which the first episode of that was. And then we needed another hour-long episode to finish it. So, yeah, it shouldn't really shouldn't take that long for this, everybody. It's not, it's not a three-hour-long uh, epic episode on the Norwegian black metal scene. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, and this movie itself, uh, I mean, I don't know I don't know what the, the shortest, uh, you know, theatric, theatrically released movie ever is, but this has got to be in the Up top there? of this, because I think it's about 80 minutes. It's really short. But uh, Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it didn't need to be any longer, though, honestly. Yeah, it doesn't feel short. It's quite harrowing. It really, it, uh, I guess we'll get into it, but by the end, it's like, wow, this is... Uh, this is already this is just so awful <laughs> every minute it's just worse and worse but the basic rundown of this movie uh the neat part i guess is the actual tech behind how they made this movie so it came out in 2003 it was filmed for $130,000 which is ridiculously cheap for a movie they totally. filmed it on weekends for two and a half years where they would just go out get in the water they used real sharks the whole time no cgi and stuff because cgi was just bad back then so uh so bad real (laughs) and it's kind of neat because it was also done on digital video which nowadays you can't really tell the difference between digital and film it just looks so good but this was i remember a unique enough thing at the time because like the year before this was 28 days later and i just remember that being uh part of the marketing was that this is one of the first theatrical big budget movies that's filmed on digital and you can kind of tell in this era like it looks everything looks a little different not bad but just you can tell it's not film it looks almost like it was filmed on a camcorder yeah which uh, just it is really like it, it works in this capacity especially i think it works better here than it did in 28 days later because of the whole sort of found footage realistic feeling they're trying to go for they're not going for found footage here specifically but just that uh you know that that feeling that you don't want it to feel like a movie and that does help in this case well no you feel like you're floating in the water with them on your deathbed (laughs) and that's that's what's great about it it's the perfect i I don't think it would have worked as well if it was on anything other than digital actually and it's just neat too, just those those periods in time, because you know you can always go back. You know you can go back and make something look like a VHS or look like this or look like that. But uh, this was wasn't you know there there weren't there was no uh, reason for it at this point besides that this is just where the tech was, and it, it's just these little moments in film history that are just it's just neat. It's neat to look back because I'd forgotten about this little tiny period until I started watching this again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool. That was a thing that happened in the early 2000s. Yeah, if you think about it, the ring also looks kind of like this, but a little more polished. Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, very... This was also a very blue-green period in film. Like, lots of, like, just blue movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when that started, but I always think of The Matrix, which was, like, 99, where they realized if they just put a filter over everything, it looks cool. <laughs> Yeah, The Matrix was also very blue. You were correct. (laughs) All right, so let's get into open water, Keith. 
Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, like I said, that's the cool part. That's the the good news is that these people made this movie for almost nothing. Uh, they did it as legitimately as they could. It made $55 million, a huge success. But yeah, that's the end of the good news because the actual story is is just, <sighs> it's kind of, it's even kind of a weird summary because it really is just kind of a list of bad things that happen to people who are dying of exposure, <laughs> basically. So let's run it yeah. down. Oh, I do have a couple of questions. Who directed it and who are the two, like, basically unknowns that star in it? I will have to look up their names because uh, what I did learn of them, I don't have their names off the top of my head, but nobody in this movie really did much besides this. The director did direct a couple other movies, but they weren't as big as this. Uh, the male actor, he wasn't in anything besides this. And the female, she... Uh, won like some awards and stuff it really seemed like her career was going to go somewhere and then she wasn't in anything for years and then when she was in some other stuff it just uh, didn't really take off so this is like the the one hurrah kind of for all these people but technically all right director is chris kentis who also wrote it and the stars are daniel travis and blanchard ryan Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, when would we <laughs> when we originally recorded this? Um, I feel like you told me something interesting about her because I did point out that there's this like extended scene and we'll get into it when we break it down. But there's like a completely nude scene with her that's I don't really think necessary, but I mean, I don't mind it. <laughs> Yeah, and basically what I learned of that is uh, it was just like in their contracts, you know, this was obviously a pretty low-budget film with relatively unknown act actors in it. And uh, yeah, the two standout things in her contract were A, real sharks, got to be okay with that, got to be in the water for every weekend for two and a half years with real sharks around. And, you know, they had people uh, managing the sharks and, you know, it was as professional as possible. Very little chance that you're going to be hurt, but... Still, it's a weird clause. It's not in your average film contract. And yeah. then the other one was, yeah, just this straight throwback to like the 70s or the 80s of like, you got to show your boobs. It's not negotiable. <laughs> and she was like, all right, I don't care. Yeah. That's fine. And apparently right. her uh, her dad uh, is like an owner of some football team or something. And she said that her and her dad both like when they went to the premiere and like there's there's your kid naked on the screen. <laughs> Her and her dad had the same kind of jock sort of attitude from sports of just like, yeah, it's like the locker room. You just see people naked all the time. Who cares? Whereas her mom was a bit scandalized of like, like she was more concerned that her daughter showed her boobies on the big screen than that she <laughs> was acting alongside sharks. <laughs> classic, classic mom behavior. <laughs> but yeah, I've got to presume it was just, you know, they obviously had no idea this movie, this tiny little movie would get picked up and would make $55 million. So I got to assume it was more uh, just like, please, someone pay attention to our movie, please. What about boobs? Will boobs help you go? Let's put in some boobs. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I think because the very nature of the movie was just ripe to end the time period and everything. It was just really ripe to be successful. But I mean, boobs never hurt. <laughs> yeah, although it does definitely feel like something that happens less often now. Now it's a little more unusual. Although even that stuff, like in my mind, I think of like uh, every movie in the 80s had boobs. But then I watched that documentary about canon films and you start to realize a lot of the cliches you think of from the 80s were really just canon. <laughs> just that one company was like every movie was a murder revenge 
movie with no budget and boobs in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fair. <laughs> so these two, very small cast, basically just Dan and Susan. They are two overworked professionals. They're leaving on a vacation. They're working up until the last moment, you know, pretty pretty standard setup. And they're heading to the Caribbean. On uh, They had another plan for other... We're going to go skiing and stuff, but they're just such workaholics. They had kind of deforced themselves. Like, all right, this is the one we're doing. We're doing the Caribbean thing. We're doing the scuba diving thing. Let's go. Let's, you know, let's make ourselves take a vacation, that kind of feeling. And uh, and again, this is where that that sort of lower budget feeling of the digital really does work because it just feels like a vacation movie. And it just, uh, a lot of this movie, because you already know basically what's going to happen. You know, anyone who saw any trailers knew it was people who got left in the water. And it makes everything eerie. Like there's nothing eerie about these early shots. It's just you know, nice tropical, you know, stuff going on. Everyone's happy on vacation, but it still feels creepy because you know this is the last day <laughs> that it's gonna they're gonna have a fun time in life. Oh yeah. Oh this is this is also one of those films that for the most part all the terror takes place in complete daylight. Yeah. And I find, you know, the films that can pull that off are some of the scarier ones now obviously there's a whole shark exploitation genre there's literally a new documentary out about shark exploitation and not all of those work but that's just because they become camp so quickly yeah that's interesting now that you mentioned that because this was obviously well after jaws but i'm thinking like i think even before like i don't know when was deep blue sea you know this was nine Okay, so this was after that, but it didn't feel so bad. Not like now, where it's all just like Megalodon, Shark Week. Like, it's it's oh nonstop God. now. Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then the other thing where, again, every little thing that happens has that extra level of creepiness is uh, just that the weather reports there's going to be a thunderstorm the next night. And that's another thing that it's like, uh, it reminds me of Columbo, where instead of wondering what you know the mystery is they just show you the murder at the start and then you unravel it backwards that's how this movie feels is like it's not like oh i wonder if that thunderstorm's going to matter we already know that thunderstorm is totally going to matter you know mhm mhm yes we do and then another little thing just that uh they just don't sleep very well that night that whole that's the scene with the boobs which is just almost extra weird is like she's this super hot lady and they're in on vacation and they're naked but they're just so stressed and whatever. They're just like, ah, they don't really have sex. They don't really sleep that well. They don't really do anything properly, these people. <laughs> like, you, know. you feel sorry for them. Do they know how to relax? <laughs> yeah. So even that, though, the fact that they're uh, kind of up all night and uh, bothered by insects and stuff, just the fact that they don't sleep that well. Again, such a little detail, but, you know, they're going to need every ounce of energy they have pretty soon, and they ain't got it. Nope. So they head out on a boat to do this scuba diving tour. It's like 20 people. And this is the part two I really do like with the uh, the low budgetness is the tour guide of this boat. I just love him so much because he, I think he, I don't know if he is an actor or if they just got an actual tour guide, but he just nails it so well of, uh, you know, the guy who does this every day and he has that one joke that he tells that he just knows it's a good enough joke to get a laugh. <laughs> and his joke yeah. is, his joke is, if you're out there, you see sharks and you don't want to see sharks, just close your eyes. Everyone goes, ha, ha, ha. And, you know, <laughs> it's so pitch perfect because, you know, we've all been on little 
whatever bus tours and stuff and just you know those people that they've just got their little go-to lines that's so mundane at this point that it's like secondhand for them yeah and it's so good too because basically this guide i mean this is the guy who sucks at his job and is about to miscount people and leave our heroes in the water but that he's just this kind of you know it's just his job is his day-to-day like you really can't dislike the guy even though he's does this awful thing it's 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 neat it's really well done it is it feels natural but he does however do a terrible job or basically oh they start showing time so now this is where we're we're gonna keep getting keyed into what exact time it is because that's gonna start to become really important so the whole group dives in at 9 45 in the morning except one guy who uh, forgets his equipment but then he finds some equipment so he jumps in later with everybody's buddied up with a, a buddy but he has to go with someone else, and it just adds to the confusion. Like, probably this guy miscounted because he just uh, didn't notice Dan and Susan initially, but this, like, adds to it. Like, not only that, but this other guy jumped in after, so was he part of the count? Did he get counted twice? You know, just all these little things that just show how easy, I guess. (laughs) It seems crazy that anybody would make this mistake, but I guess, theoretically, you could miscount people. And on top of that, Dan, I don't know, he's just got this thing where he just wants to do his own thing. So not, so they do have, everyone has a diving buddy, but his diving buddy is his wife. And they don't stay with the group. They go mm-hmm. off on their own to go extra deep and go down and see some coral. And again, it's not their fault, but just all these little things that, you know, if they'd stayed with everybody, uh, I guess, I guess this is like those, the weird life lesson of like, well, when we did this episode the first time, me and you both talked about how we just wouldn't do this at all. The heck with no, this. Thing. No, absolutely <laughs> <You know>? not. <laughs> but if you are doing it, if you are going out scuba diving and stuff, stay with people, you know, stay with the group. Don't uh, don't think you're too good for Mother Nature because you're not, you know, just keep everything yeah. as safe as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And just again, these little details. It's amazing how as everyone's coming back. Just how much anxiety you can feel from this totally benign thing of just watching this guy and his day job just checking off. You know, he doesn't have names or anything. He just has the number of people. There were this number of people. Check, 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 check. So once he checks them all off, he thinks everybody's back on. And meanwhile, Dan and Susan, they're not late or anything. They're actually going to come back a few minutes earlier than the rendezvous time, but they're off on their own. And once this guy thinks he's got everybody i mean there's no reason for them to wait around anymore so so the boat goes back (laughs) yeah Uh yeah speaking of speaking of the idea of just that uh you know how how frightening it is just to scuba dive that we take these things so for granted but just the shots of the two of them so deep underwater like the closest i did to this was it was on like uh just a cruise where one of the things you could do on the cruise is go out for snorkeling and I still right. stayed on the boat. I still didn't go in the water, but we were still, everyone was just at least snorkeling around on the surface. When you see people way deep underwater with oxygen tanks and all the gear on, and it's just like, it's like you might as well be on Mars. Like you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, it is like going to a different planet. It's a whole different world down there. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess it kind of ties into that thing that happened last month with the, uh, the homemade submarine that just imploded. It's like, you can just send down a camera. Like, you you don't have to be there yourself. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's the bends. Like, you don't want to go down that deep. Come on. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say, yeah, we we both uh, 
massively say just uh, experience it from a distance. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. experience everything in life. Watch an episode of Planet Earth. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So they resurface at 10.25 a.m. It's only been about 40 minutes. And uh, I think they said the rendezvous time was 10.30. So they're a little bit early. But they get up there and it's just blue in every direction. Which, again, this cruise I was on, it was just one of these, like, leaves from Florida, goes to Mexico, comes back, four days thing. That's the only time I'd ever been that far out to sea, that in every direction you can't see anything but just a flat line of blue. Yeah. And it freaked me out. I did not like it. <laughs> yeah, th that honestly scares the hell out of me. <laughs> like, I yeah. have a healthy respect for the ocean. So, yeah, that's all they can see. They're just floating in the water. But, of course, they don't immediately get scared because you know, there has to be some explanation of where the boat is. They can tell that they are in the right spot because the coral that they were looking at, they can still see beneath them. So for some reason, the boat must have had to leave. But all they can figure is, OK, we'll just stay where we are and the boat will come back and get us. Right. Like something weird happened, but it's surely it's no big deal because they wouldn't just leave two people out in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, they're they're in denial about what's happening. <laughs> Uh, but then they do realize because of the uh, coral underneath them that they can't see it anymore. So they realize that they're drifting. So this is starting to become a problem. They're starting to get a little stress settling in because now they're realizing even if the boat does come back, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're probably not too far away, but it's it's only going to get worse. So now what? And this kind of becomes the whole issue of the movie is like you have very limited options. You're just bobbing in the water. What the heck do you do? And there's yeah. a few little teases, like in this case, there's a boat coming their way. So they think, oh, we'll be OK. But everything is farther away than it looks. And they're they're just invisible. They're two little specks in the in the ocean. So this boat just goes somewhere else, you know, and they see like some boys and different things in the far distance. But there's really no point in trying to swim to them because they'll never get there. And if the current changes, it'll just sweep them away anyway. Mm hmm. And then they start to see some sharks kind of swimming nearby and they're starting to get cold. And really all they can do is just just bob there. That's it. There's not a lot of uh, levity in this film. But one of the things that makes that makes me laugh is before they realize that they're like before they accept that they're in deep shit, you know, after after the point where she decides that she's really cold, he pees and she's like, oh, well, at least it's a little warmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then we get our next little uh, time update. It's 1.30 p.m. They're starting to get hungry and uh, a jellyfish stings them. And they're really accepting at this point that, you know, they've been out there for hours. Like something, something very wrong has happened. And this is one thing just as a, a meta movie thing that I thought was interesting is then Dan says he has heard of this happening. He's heard of people accidentally being left behind. And it just makes me think of because this is. You know, it's a horror movie in its own way. It's not the same as a zombie movie. But yeah, always have that point in every zombie movie where you got to figure out if the people know what a zombie is. You know? Yeah. Or Do if, they like, have a word for that in this world? In this movie, they have heard of this happening because, of course, that's why it's on horror versus reality. It did did really happen. And it does kind of help. Again, it just makes it even worse because it it solidifies the reality of it because even if you're thinking like this seems unlikely this would never happen but it did <laughs> it yeah did happen. yeah and this is just the filmmakers attempt to show you what 
probably happened to them. So then Susan starts getting seasick, and it's also whenever they show these camera shots that are from their perspective, like, you know, when I was on this cruise, I mean, a cruise ship is enormous, so at least you're way up above the water and you still can't see anything but water. Seeing from their perspective at sea level, it's so much worse because they really can't see anything, you know, like they're just right at the water level. And that's just what a weird, again, you're saying like this is a daytime movie, not like your traditional nighttime scares, but it's similar in a way because like you can see stuff, but what does it matter? (laughs) You know, you can't see anything useful. It still feels very unknown because I mean, a lot of the time they literally have to put their little goggles on to look down and check and see what's under them. Yeah. So uh, it's terrifying. (laughs) So Dan encourages Susan to lie back and rest because they've got, you know, little floaty stuff on. But then we jump ahead to 4.40 p.m. and Dan also fell asleep, which again, because they didn't get a lot of sleep that night before, they're stressed out, they're probably getting exhausted already. It seems almost a little weird that he would fall asleep, but why not? Like you're just lulling in the ocean, going up and down, you can't do anything. It sort of is like, yeah, maybe, maybe he would. Maybe he would. So they've drifted apart from each other. And at the same time, the sharks are getting more bold. Susan's leg gets a minor bite from something. We don't know for sure if it's a shark, but something. Uh, So they manage to swim back to each other. Susan's still seasick. She throws up. And Dan gets a leg cramp. (laughs) The stupid thing I was thinking with this is because whenever I get a cramp, I just, as long as I stand up and put weight on it, it goes away. But if I try to work my way through a leg cramp without standing on it, it's just really tough. It really hurts. So he gets this leg cramp. And I just was thinking like, oh, that's the worst. And then as I was thinking that, a shark swims right in front of them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like yeah. It's it's not the worst. <laughs> yeah, maybe a leg cramp is actually probably the least bad thing that happened to this guy today. But but it's like when people yeah. get paper cuts and stuff, something about a leg cramp is so like, oh, yeah, that would suck. Or when you like, you know, hit your toe on the bedpost. It's the yeah. worst thing for like five minutes. <laughs> So Dan finally loses his temper. He's been pretty composed up to this point, but he starts yelling and cursing the incompetent diving company and marital stress is at an all time high. So this is where they start uh, laying into each other a bit of like, we wouldn't be on this trip if, or we wouldn't be stuck out here if we'd stayed with the group is what Susan says to Dan. But then Dan says, we wouldn't be on this trip at all if you just went on the ski trip we were supposed to go on. Uh, And, you know, I mean, I think that's both sides are fair. (laughs) Both of them have got some stress to get out. Right. I mean, you would have to do something because you're I'd be losing my mind in this situation. Like, of course, there's frustration. And there's another like a freighter goes by again in the distance, but there's just no hope that it could ever see them. Uh. So so then we jump ahead to 645 p.m. So they've been in the water pretty much all day at this point. Sharks are still around. Uh, Dan does have like a little knife that he had on him just amongst his gear. So at least maybe, (laughs) I don't know, maybe they could fight off a shark or something. And these sharks, I guess, are tiger sharks that aren't especially, you know, wanting to attack people. But interestingly, they are the most likely to attack people of the sharks. Mm. So, yeah, so it's not like they're in direct shark danger, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not like the sharks are going to politely not eat them if, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, yeah. it's an interesting balance because it's like, yeah, the sharks are there, but they're, it's like, uh, like vultures circling. It's like, oh, this might not be a, de- a problem right now, but in the long term, it's definitely a problem. 
Yeah, exactly. So they're still drifting randomly. Susan remembers she has some little candies that she had stashed away just because she gets a dry mouth when she dives. So at least they get to have some nice little candies. That's nice. But at this point, that's when the sharks decide. I wonder if I did. I, I probably said this last time we recorded, too. It's in my notes. This corny line I wrote. This is when the sharks decide it's time for the humans to become the candies. <laughs> So Dan gets bit, he drops his knife, and his bite's real bad. There's, like, blood in the water all over the place. And this is where, yeah, things have definitely upped the ante from the conceptual horror of uh, death by exposure to, like, now it's way worse, blood everywhere. And this is one of those things, too, like, in the theater, I'm sure people just weren't sure how deep in they were. But, of course, nowadays you can always tell how far you are in a movie. So I saw at this point there's only 15 minutes left. Where for so many movies, 15 minutes is like, whatever, we're just wrapping things up. Where in this movie, right? (laughs) Yeah. Where in this, this movie has like, how in God's name are they going to live for 15 more minutes? Like 15 minutes feels like 15 hours. It's just, (laughs) there's just no way. And uh, yeah, then the sun starts setting and the sky is this blood red thing that looks awesome. And we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, color grading and stuff on movies. I did yeah. wonder at the time, like, is that real? And apparently it is because they didn't do any CGI stuff. So I guess if you're filming for two and a half years, you can get the best ever sunset. <laughs> but it looks so pick cool. Whatever sunset looks best, right? Yeah. Blood red sky looks looks amazing. So then around midnight, that thunderstorm that they mentioned on the news starts. And yeah, this is like artistically the coolest looking part because it's mm-hmm. pitch black. You can't see anything until lightning strikes and you just see the two of them huddled together in the water and i mean at this point they've got to be assuming they're not really speaking to each other anymore but they got to be assuming that they're gonna die like that they're not gonna make it through this this would be like the scariest part and this is where too like i start running just like movie stuff in my brain where i did see this movie back when it came out but that was ages ago so i didn't remember so at first i just assumed well it's based on a true story so they must not make it but then as i was watching it I started thinking like, oh, that's really depressing. Probably they changed it for the movie. But, you know, they probably do make it. I mean, they're still alive at this point. Oh, and we cut to the next morning and they're still they're still there. They're still floating there. And it's like, oh, man, maybe they are going to make it. But then you, it gets revealed that Dan's unconscious at this point. He's not looking good at all. And then it, again, it's like it's just like whiplash back and forth where I'm like, uh, maybe they're not going to make it. Like, how could they possibly at this point? It's, the whole thing's kind of a tennis match with your emotions, right? <laughs> yeah, it really is. So at 8.55 that morning, they, uh, the guy who runs the little boat finds Dan and Susan's stuff. <laughs> and he's still, this guy's so bad at his job. He finds their, their um, bag there. He has to open it up take their IDs out, look at their IDs, stare off into the middle distance. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. I remember them. Yeah. (laughs) Which not to step on your half of the podcast, but at least he did this all the next day. So he still did better than the guy in real life. But they start start the search. They've got helicopters, planes, boats. But I mean, you know, it's the ocean and who knows where these people have floated to at this point. There's really it just seems really obvious that there's not a lot of chance that they're going to find these people. We go back to Susan and Dan. Susan checks Dan's pulse, confirms that he is dead, releases his body, lets him drift away and sharks pull him under. 
and she looks under the water with her with her snorkel mask and sees that there's quite a few sharks circling that have been there who knows for how long and uh yeah she basically just comes to the final conclusion like there's this is it there's like no good way out of this the best option is just to sink underwater and let herself drown and that's what she does and that's the end of the movie <laughs> it's like oh it's a real downer <laughs> and then they do have a nice little post-credit sequence though it's still very creepy where some fishermen some fishermen catch a shark and they're cutting it open and they find a camera in its stomach and they're just like oh look at that this thing shark fought and swallowed a camera i wonder if it works weird and that's yeah that's the end of the end of the movie boom 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 so yeah i mean very bleak but also one of those things that it's not like just a downer for a downer's sake it's just realistic it's like this is all that could yeah. really happen yeah exactly i mean because it's based on the poor people that this actually happened to uh tom and eileen lonergan to follow the story you gotta follow the truth and unfortunately they didn't make it or if they did because uh, there's there's a lot of we'll get into it but there's a lot of conspiracy theories <laughs> yeah which is interesting i wonder if there's any event ever that doesn't have associated uh, conspiracy theories i guess you gotta have them right uh yeah there's always somebody who's gonna be like well but <laughs> what about <laughs> um so we'll take a short break and then we'll be right back to talk about what really happened there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All right, so let's get into what happened to Tom and Eileen. After a two-year stint working with the Peace Corps at Funafuti Atoll in the small South Pacific island nation of Tuvala, the married couple Tom and Eileen Lonergan decided to take a small vacation to Queensland, Australia to go scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef. Little did they know, it would be the last adventure they would ever have. Yeah, and I guess that's another reason why I thought maybe in the movie they'd make it, because obviously they changed the location to the Caribbean and they acknowledged this previous event. So I was like, oh, it's not a retelling. It could be different, but but it wasn't. No, yeah, it was pretty, f I mean, other than the location, it was fairly faithful. The location and the fact that the actual Lonergans, I wouldn't call them workaholics. They felt like people who were very um, giving. You know, they were in the Peace Corps. 
they did a lot of volunteer work, but they seemed they seemingly saved all their savings to do adventurous stuff like this. So on January 25th, 1998, at around 3 p.m., Tom and Eileen surfaced from what was supposed to be a 40-minute diving experience to discover that they had been left behind by the diving group they came with. Like in the movie, you know, I'm sure they were probably just kind of like, oh, I'm sure the boat will be here any minute, you know? But we have no real idea what they could possibly be thinking because they were never actually found. So we'll just get on with the offense that we know for sure happens over this period. So <laughs> obviously, like what happened, what, what happened is that just like in the story, there had to have been a headcount missing. So they didn't, the outer edge, which is the boat that they went on, did not count them or maybe counted someone twice because there was a lot of movement around, much like in the movie. But the hard truth is the Lonergans didn't get back on that boat and basically no one noticed at that time that they were gone. But two two things did happen the following day. So the Outer Edge went back to the exact same spot where they were with the Longerins the previous day, and they discovered dive weights at the bottom of the ocean in the area that the Lonergans were diving in. So that was their first kind of clue that, hmm, something is amiss, but they still didn't realize what had happened yet. Now, another boat company visited that same area later that day, and the captain claimed that his head count was several number over what it was supposed to be, and that he could hear American voices among the Italian passengers. So this claim made people think that perhaps they had gotten on the Italian boat. But that was later proven to be just another red herring. Man, that's one of those things, too. Like, who knows what the heck was going on with that particular event. But that's even worse when, you know, people are still not even quite sure if there's a problem yet. But then one of these weird side things happens to just stop people from looking for you. That's awful. Uh, Yeah, it's so unfortunate. So on day three, the 27th of January, the skipper of the boat discovered that a bag had been left behind that contained personal belongings of the Lonergans. This, we're talking wallets, passport, ID, credit cards, all the stuff that you would never just leave behind. And this made the skipper, of course, alert the police. Um, at, and at this point, the Lonergans have been missing for 51 hours with seemingly no one noticing until this very moment. <sighs> Which is, that's like outlook very grim. So after it was finally discovered that the Lonergans had been left behind in the St. Crispin Reef... A massive three-day search was conducted involving everything from Navy vessels to just ordinary friends and family and people like, you know, the people who just live there, your everyday people, locals, just went looking out in their, like, little fishing boats, you know, just everyone they could find to try to help look for them. And there was no trace of them um, at first. But things happened. When they went through their belongings, they found the Lonergan's diaries and uh, it was some grim stuff in there. But nobody knows for sure what, you know, this is people's private diaries. It's not necessarily indicative of being actually suicidal. 
You know what I mean? Like people have to work out through their their own emotions in their own ways. However, Tom, his entries are all about him struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And Eileen has a passage that says she's concerned that she could get caught up in his death wish. But I'm also told that these are very cherry-picked entries, and it's not indicative of the entire tone of their diaries. Yeah, it's a a very weird and kind of dumb example, but I remember the first thing that came to mind when you told me this last time we recorded this was uh, just the movie Heathers, that, uh, you know, the whole movie's just about they are uh, murdering their classmates and they try to make it look like suicides and just how easy that is to do. All they do is take this, this one girl was always reading Moby Dick. So they just underlined the word Eskimo in Moby Dick and at her funeral, people are like, much like the Eskimo, she felt alone. You know, like <laughs> you can just take, and that's an extreme example, but yeah, you just take these little things. And I don't know, I guess, especially in this case, I think maybe they were just trying to make themselves feel better like oh maybe they wanted to be left at sea as ludicrous as that is and that is one of the theories that people have is like oh maybe they were trying to fake their own death and we'll get into all that but um on the 5th of february you know which is at this point is like several weeks later obviously they find tom's buoyancy compensator device which is like a vest used to provide buoyancy to divers at certain depths and it was found near indian heads about 105 kilometers away from when they where they met missing so they definitely were probably you know being taken away by current just like how they were drifting in the film um, around the same time, a dive slate was found, which read just a chilling thing. It was abandoned on Agincourt Reef. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the dive slate says, abandoned on Agincourt Reef, 25th January, 98, 3 p.m. Please help us. Come to rescue us before we die. Help. Like, that's got to be the most last-ditch effort thing. It's like, well, maybe if they find this on our bodies, they'll know, you know, if we're still alive, they'll know that we need help. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, surely any any other theories surely are trumped by that, right? That seems pretty clear. Right? Like, this seems like they obviously didn't want that. But, you know, conspiracy theorists would be like, that's just what they wanted you to believe or something. I don't know. And then in 2003, years later at this point, a flipper with the name Lonergan was found around the area of Cooktown. So, while all this is happening, they did charge the skipper, George Jack Nairn, um, with manslaughter. But the jury found him innocent and believed that he didn't mean to leave them behind, which I'm sure he didn't mean to leave them behind, honestly. But I don't feel like that changes the fact that he did. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Um, To this day, their bodies have never been found. And the court ruled that they just mishap at sea as a result of a, a, you know, an error in headcount. Yeah, I wonder, like, some of those early signs that didn't get fully followed up on that something was wrong. I wonder if even they dragged their feet on that, because even if you're the person who made that mistake, it's so ludicrous. You probably wouldn't even believe in yourself that you would do that. You know, like, nah, surely I didn't do that. It's way too dumb. Surely I didn't commit negligible homicide. (laughs) I mean, or manslaughter or whatever. Like, surely not. There's, no, I never would have left people. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that would be a hard pill to swallow. 
And um, on the so other like, hand, I mean, there's always those like times at whatever job where you just really do mess something up and like, oh, geez, I really did uh, miscounted the till or something and there's a hundred dollars missing or something. I guess it is like that, except to the extreme, you know? Yeah, the worst day at work that anyone could have is when someone dies on your watch somehow. Yeah, <laughs> like especially for something so innocuous. It's not like you're even supposed to be doing something that dangerous. And you right, it's not like you're a doctor on the operating table. You're just taking some people diving for a little bit, like literally 40 minutes. Yeah, crazy. Ugh. Some people think that they fake their own death. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think that, you know, maybe they hired a boat to come get them, you know, at a certain time and that they, you know, just snuck out or whatever. But there, there's so many variables right there. Like they would have to know that the people weren't going to look for them on the other boat. <laughs> they would have to know that the people wouldn't notice that they were also missing some of their own equipment. Like, it's just not feasible. <laughs> I do wonder, too, about that. I mean, that feels like such a, a thing from old movies or something, like, fake your own death, start a new life. But, I mean, it's extra hard now, but even by 1998, I feel like just the uh, the social network that we have, of digital, the digital world, and just everything is so connected. I just don't know that that's even... How do you even do that? Yeah, even in 98, that seems a little far-fetched, I think. So then other people were like, oh, well, you know, give it, and this was largely from the journals. People are like, well, you know, if he was suicidal, maybe he decided to take her with him. And, you know, she didn't know it was going to happen. And he stayed behind late on purpose so that they'd both die. I also don't think that's true. But that's... Yeah, I mean of all the weird theories, like, I feel like maybe that one is maybe the most believable, but still very much like there's got to be there's got to be better ways to go. You know, like there's no good way for this to end. Dying of exposure is not there's got to be better ways if you want to, you know, you want right. to exit the world of ways to go. I mean, instant instantly incinerated. So you'd feel no pain would be nice, I think. Mm. <laughs> I wonder, too, I mean, maybe it would be like a slower version of uh, there was this really eerie documentary called The Bridge about people who jumped off the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And the people who survived, pretty much all of them said on the way down, it's like the, the fog cleared in their mind and they realized they didn't actually want to die. So, I mean, I guess yes. that would surely happen in this case, too, even if this was his plan. I'm sure a day in, you'd be like, wait, this was actually a terrible idea. <laughs> Oh, yeah, day end of this, you'd have some serious regrets. <laughs> um, you know, another one of the most plausible things is if they didn't die from exposure or getting eaten by sharks is that they literally just drowned because exhaustion would set in at some point. It's I, I don't find it unlikely that they could have literally just passed out and drowned. Yeah. And then maybe gotten nibbled on by sharks. Who knows? I don't think it's likely that they're hiding out somewhere with new identities anywhere. But, yeah. We will probably never know. Yeah, and I remember last time we, we did this episode, I mean, I was just like on the, the spur of the moment, just trying to look for any kind of upside. And uh, I still haven't thought of anything better than this. All I could think of is, at least in this case, when things are getting bad, you do have the option of letting yourself drown. That's literally the only upside I can think of. 
Yeah, just like in the movie, if I saw myself surrounded by sharks, it's like, well, it's going to suck to drown, but it's not going to suck as much as being ripped in half, maybe. Yeah, and again, just being in weird environments, it just made me think of, uh, you should never do this late at night, but I went down this YouTube rabbit hole of people who got stuck while spelunking, and you're just surrounded by rock, and you can't get out, and like, you know, just similar in some ways but at least with water you can decide when you're done (laughs) with this experience right uh unless you're in their situation which you're you're never done with that experience but yeah no i i agree um i love the descent i think that's that's like one of my favorite horror movies but if i got stuck in that situation and spoiler alert if you haven't seen the descent but the fact that one of the girls in the group knew that this was an undiscovered cave and thought they would just all map it out together um you willingly dragged your friends into a death trap way to go yeah and i mean i guess with all this stuff again i think we can just uh, fly the flag of being wusses but all this stuff that it's you know uh, pretty common to do any of this stuff but maybe just don't don't go spelunking don't go scuba diving don't climb giant mountains just don't (laughs) i may be a wuss but you know where i am safe in my room (laughs) alive Yeah, I mean, that's not, uh, again, it's one of these just random tragedies. There's obviously really nothing to actually learn from this. It's just a horrible thing that happened. But but yeah, I don't know if you got friends that are like, hey, let's go skydiving and you don't want to, just don't, you don't have to. Yeah, if you have a feeling deep in your gut that tells you no, listen to it. Yeah. That said, I think that's like pretty much all we got. And hey, still recording. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean we definitely are. I'm at the 50 mark. Says we still, we're still going. Yeah, it'd be an act of God at this point if something goes wrong. <sighs> Seriously, it was just not meant to be. If it fucks it up this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Keith, would you like to do a little pluggy plug on what you're working on? Sure. Well, I guess just uh, keithcourage.com is my website. And uh, I don't know, I just do different podcasts and stuff. Oh, and uh, I guess my Last of Us book, uh, that Last of Us won every Emmy in the world, the uh, or nominated for every Emmy in the world, the TV show. So I wrote a book about the video game, The Last of Us, and uh, you can just read it for free at keithcourage.com. So uh, check that out. Check that out. One day, Keith will finish writing the novel he's writing. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. I'm still on the last chapter, but I'm at this. I really am like writing a sentence a day. It's making me understand why I never finished anything before. Because you need like an iron will. I don't know why. It's like pushing a boulder up a hill, and it just or like a snowball that keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. It's just something mentally about it just gets harder and harder. But I'll get there someday. I have faith in you, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody, we will see you back next time for yet another riveting episode of Horror vs. Reality. Bye!